Well, I guess for many Christians, one of the um, great worries or great concerns is the fact that you may have friends or family that don't believe, that don't trust in Jesus Christ. Um, you may have parents who um, have never believed. You may have siblings that think you're mad for being a Christian. You may have children that you've brought up as Christians and yet seem to have gone off and given up on the faith. We might ask to go, why? Why are these people not Christians? Um, I look back over my time at St Luke's at 15 year, over 15 years. If everyone had come to church and heard one of my sermons and become a Christian as a result, then the building probably wouldn't be big enough. And yet, there's plenty of space. Why do so many not respond to the Christian faith? It's a real answer, isn't it? It's a real problem. It's a real urge as Christians. We want this to be answered. And we can look at the problem in two ways. We can, say, we can look at it from above or from below. We can ask, why hasn't God chosen them? And we can ask, why haven't they chosen to believe in Jesus? Both questions are good questions. Uh, the Bible talks about the fact that God calls people. You see that in our opening verse this morning, one on the front of your notice sheets. Those whom God has called, it talks about. We see it actually in the story of the lost sheep that Maggie spoke about earlier on in the Sunday Club are doing today. Um, the sheep didn't choose to be saved. The shepherd went out and found the sheep and brought him back. Or her back. Or Lammy back. <laughs> we might ask, why hasn't God chosen them? But at the same time, we could ask, why haven't they chosen to believe in Jesus? Um, the Bible is very clear, isn't it? We have a choice. That God calls us to choose to turn around, to repent, and put our trust in Jesus Christ. Um, and again and again, there's that call, that going out, choose to follow Jesus. It's our choice. And as you look back on your own Christian life, you can maybe think about the moment you chose to follow Jesus and to be his. Why aren't people Christians? But why hasn't God chosen them? Why haven't they chosen to believe in Jesus? There are two questions, one from above, one from below, and yet they seem contradictory. And in Romans chapter 9 and 10 and 11, Paul looks at these two questions. In Romans 9, he's really looking at the first question, why hasn't God chosen them? And in Romans 10, which actually Maggie quoted from earlier on, he looks at the second question, why haven't they chosen to believe in Jesus? And in Romans 11, he sort of brings it together with a bit of hope. And so this morning, we're going to look at this question, why hasn't God chosen them? And actually, this is a personal question, isn't it? It's a real question, as I started off by saying. And Paul has real concern. He is passionate about his fellow countrymen. He's passionate about those who are other Jews, other Israelites, who, like him, believe in the God of the Bible, believed in the Old Testament. And yet so many of them weren't believing in God's Messiah. They weren't believing in Jesus. Paul would go from town to town. He would first of all start off in the synagogues. He would start off with the Jews. And he'd preach to them. He'd call them to turn to Jesus, put their faith in Jesus. And some would. But many wouldn't. And often they'd turn against him quite violently. And Paul sort of cries out, why God, why aren't these Jewish people, why aren't your people trusting in your Messiah, in your Christ? This is a deeply personal question. As we come and look at these, this chapter, which deep, deals in quite deep philosophical, paradoxical questions, we need to remember that this is personal. This is a real issue, this really matters. But it's also a sort of theological question as well for Paul. 
because the Jews were God's people. They were the ones that received the promise through Abraham to be a special people. They're the ones that received God's law. They're the ones from whom the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came. And if all these Jews weren't accepting Jesus, and in fact, as Paul writes to the church in Rome now, if it seems like there's more non-Jews, more Gentiles in the church than there are Jews, does that mean that God's promise to his special people has failed? Has God's words failed? What's going on here? So Paul has to deal with these questions and these issues, and he does so in Romans 9 to uh, start off with. And he starts off by saying in verse 6 very clearly, it's not that God's word has failed. Because actually, he says, when you look back over God's word, uh, you see that he doesn't always choose all the Israelites. Not all Israel are truly Israel. Um, you see, in those days, they, they thought to be a true Jew, you needed two things. You needed to be descended from Abraham, and you needed to be a follower of the Lord to do the works of the Lord, the good works. But Paul shows them in these verses that if you go right back to the beginning of the story, right back to Genesis itself, and read about Abraham and his family, that's not the way God works. First of all, it's not based on descent. It's not based on who your parents are. So Abraham, he says, had two children, Ishmael and Isaac. And yet it was, he didn't choose Ishmael, he chose Isaac. And then Isaac had um, two children, Jacob and Esau. And they were twins. They were conceived at the same time. And you expect that if you're going to choose anyone, you choose the older one, but God chose the younger one. God's free choice isn't based simply on descent. It's not based simply on who your parents are. Some of Abraham's descendants were chosen, some weren't chosen. And Paul says that the same thing's happening now. Some Jews are becoming Christians, and some aren't becoming Christians. You may have children, some of whom will become Christians, because he brought them up in that way, and sadly, some maybe not. Maybe turn their backs on us. We don't always understand why, and yet we shouldn't be surprised by that. It's not based on dissent. But secondly, Paul says it's not based on works. God doesn't just choose the good people. He doesn't just choose those who do God's law, God's, God's will. And he does a story of the twins about this. He, he says, look, when God chose them, they were still in the womb, Esau and Jacob. And yet he chose Jacob before Jacob had a chance to do anything good. And actually, you read the story of Jacob, he turned out to be a bit of a rascal. He wasn't hardly a good guy at all. And yet God chose him. God's choice isn't based on how good we'll be or good are. It's not based on who our parents are. So what is God's choice based on? It's based on mercy. Paul quotes from um, Exodus when God appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai um, and he declared his own character to Moses. And part of what he said was this, I have mercy on whom I have mercy um, and I have compassion on whom I have compassion. You see, we are all sinners. We all deserve God's judgments. And yet God chooses to have mercy on some of us. Imagine um, there's a beach and it's, there's been a storm and it's littered with starfish. And the starfish are still alive. But they're gradually dying because they're out of the sea. And you come along and there's no way you can throw them all back in the sea. And you decide you must throw some back in the sea. So you start picking them up one by one and throwing them back in the sea. Some you will save. Some you won't be able to save. You've got to choose one or the other. 
which ones will you choose to throw in? Actually, just pick them up and throw them in. Don't you? In the same way, actually, as people, we're all washed up. We're washed up because of our sin. We're washed up because of our rebellion against God. And God comes along, and for whatever reason, he can't choose us all. But he chooses some to have mercy on them. And if you're a Christian, God has chosen you to have mercy on you, to save you despite your sin. But you see, just as when you go along the beach and you choose some starfish to throw in and not all of them, you're not responsible for the fate of the other starfish. You can't feel guilty that some weren't saved. In the same way, God doesn't save everyone. He chooses some but not others, but God's not responsible for those who aren't saved. They're judged because of their own sin. God will show mercy on whom he will show mercy. But ultimately, it's God's choice. It's his decision. God is in charge. And that's hard to deal with, isn't it? Because we see things from below. We feel like we make decisions. We make choices. How can we understand that we can make choices and yet God also makes a choice? God also decides. And we might try two ways out of the paradox. We might say, well, maybe God makes all the choices and actually our own choice is just an illusion. We don't really have any choice. We, we just end up doing what God always planned for us to do. And our choice doesn't really matter. And then you might say, well, then I can't be blamed for anything. If I'm sinning because God decided that's the way it is, if I decide not to follow Jesus because that's the way God's decided, then, then, then I'm surely I'm not, I'm not responsible. And yet the Bible says, well, no, you are responsible. We can't simply decide that it's our choice is just an illusion. Our choice does matter. But he might say, well, then maybe God is limited by human decisions. God can only choose those who will choose him. He, his, God is limited. His, his power is controlled by what humans decide. But that can't be right either, can it? God is sovereign. God is powerful. If, if he's limited to what humans decide, then he's not the God of the universe. He's not God above all nations. He's not the God in charge. God can't guarantee the future. If, his future, if the future is controlled by humans and not him. So we can't say that God is limited by human decisions. Both these things don't work, and yet we're left with a paradox. How can God be completely in charge, and yet our choice also be important? Well, God says, actually, you may not understand. God is the potter, we are the clay. God is the creator, we are the creators. We are here below, we can't see what God sees from above. We can't see everything. And sometimes we have to accept that there are mysteries in life. There are things beyond our comprehension, beyond our understanding. We shouldn't be able to expect God's and the universe to be completely comprehended by our meagre, tiny human minds. God is in charge. God is the potter. And yet there are some positives about the, this idea of God's choice being the ultimate choice. Firstly, his choice has a freedom about it. That means God is free to choose those who you might not expect him to choose. Paul talks about that in the last few verses um, when he quotes from Hosea. He talks about God calling my people who are not my people. He's saying that why has God chosen non-Jews to be believers in Jesus and to be part of God's people now? Well, because God can choose to do that. God is free to choose to do that. And if you're here today and you're not Jewish by background, which I suspect is true of most of you, 
We should be thankful for that, shouldn't we? Because if God only chose, chose Jews, we wouldn't be chosen. We wouldn't be Christians. We wouldn't be saved. And that's a wonderful thing. You may know people today and you may think there's no way they become a Christian. They may even be your relatives and you think there's no way they're going to become a Christian. And yet God is free to choose them. I may have chosen them and it's just their time has actually turned to him has yet not yet come. And that brings us to the next thing, that there's always hope. You see, we don't know who God has ultimately chosen. And that's a wonderful thing. Because it means that anyone that we know, anyone that we come across, anyone in our families, may still yet be chosen by God. No matter how far away from God they see, because it's God's choice, it's God's power, it's God's hope. You see, when we trust in God's choice as being sovereign and overall, there is hope, there is positives about it. As we reflect on that, just two quick things to think about in conclusion. If you're a Christian, be grateful for God's mercy. Ultimately, you're not a Christian just because of your choice. You're not a Christian because you're clever enough to work out that Jesus died for you. You're not a Christian because you've been good enough. You're a Christian because God chose you. Because of God's mercy. Be grateful for that. Rejoice in that. And secondly, don't prejudge God's choice. Don't look at someone and think, well, God's never going to choose them. It's tempting sometimes, isn't it? But you never know what God's going to do. You never know what God is free to choose. Or who God is free to choose. Well, it's a bit of a whirlwind tour of that passage. Come back tonight, find out a bit more. Let's pray.